0: Good morning, Redeemer. If you will, please open your Bibles to John chapter 4. This morning, uh, we come to the second sign in John. See that in verse 50 especially. Uh, But just to remind you, uh, this series is, is based on the purpose of the gospel of John. And John tells us at the end of his gospel that he has recorded down the signs that Jesus did so that those who hear the signs will believe that Jesus is the only one who can give us life. And so each week we're going to be picking up a different sign in order to find faith in a fearful world. But let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless the hearing of His Word. Let's pray. O God, you are worthy. You are worthy. We should worship you. You are worthy of glory and honor and power because you created all things and by your will, They existed, and we exist, and we were created, and all things come to be. So we pray, O God, you would demonstrate your glory and cause us to worship by willing that we hear your word and see your Son. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The sermon title is Healing. In his word, Uh, that I think is the is what we will see in verse 50. But to get uh, the context of this second sign of Jesus, let's start reading the word of Christ for us in verse 43. After the two days, Jesus departed for Galilee for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor. In his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Before we get to the sign and the significance of the sign, uh, I I want to point you to the Easter egg in our passage. Uh, Storytellers hide little treats In in their stories. And and they often do this, like John does in our passage, they do it in parentheses. So when you're reading a story and there's a parentheses, that's the storyteller inserting information and saying, You need to know this if I'm going to go any farther and you're going to understand the point of this story. Look at the, the parentheses in verse 44. After Jesus leaves for Galilee, he leaves his hometown. Then John says, The reason he left was because a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And then when he gets to Galilee, verse 45, the Galileans welcome him. The idea is that they're welcoming him in a way that the townspeople did not welcome him uh, in his own hometown. And then he goes specifically to Cana In verse 46, which we saw in chapter 2, where he turned the water to wine. But notice what he says once he gets there. To this man from Galilee, there is something not quite right, even in the welcome, that they give to Jesus. Because Jesus says in verse 48, You will not believe the way you're supposed to believe unless you see me do signs. And wonders. John tells us that he has recorded down the signs to show us. This is what I want for our church in this season to see what kind of salvation we need and what kind of Savior God has sent. And I want you to see a couple of things uh, this morning, even from this introduction, and that is being familiar with Jesus is not the same thing as having faith in Jesus. We see that from the parentheses, being familiar with Jesus. You can know a lot about Jesus. You can even grow in comfort with Jesus. It's possible we're told to be so familiar like the people of his hometown that you stop taking him seriously and we don't want to just be familiar with him. We want to have faith in Him. And familiarity and following are not the same. The second thing is we need a prophet more than we need a performer. We need, according to Jesus, Him to be a prophet for us more than we need Him to perform signs and wonders for us. Here is the sermon in a sentence. Only those who heed Jesus' words get the healing. Only Jesus works. We'll unpack this. But only those who heed Jesus' words get the healing. Only Jesus works. Point number one is the sign that we see in John 4. Verse 50, let's meet the characters of our story. First of all, there's a child with deadly fever. There's a child who has a deadly fever. And that should communicate something deeply true in the same way that coronavirus is meaning to communicate something to us that is deeply true. That this world cannot be all that there is. Friends, understand this. Trying to find life in this world is like actually finding a mirage in a desert. This world cannot offer you any kind of life that will actually satisfy you. Just learn that from the fact that in our world, children get sick and die. But also understand from this child who is dying with fever that you also are weak and I am weak. So the, li- the life in this world is not just the only thing that's a, a mirage. Strength that you think you have in youth, you think you have is, is an illusion. This child in our story We can just assume that he has all the money he needs to get the healing. He has all the power. He's the son of an official. That official probably serves King Herod himself. This child is basically royalty, and he can't stop a fever. And nor can anyone in his life. And a microscopic virus can take you and me down as well. We also have a father with determined love. Verse 47, look there. He hears that the man who had famously now turned wine to water, he's he's only 17 miles away. And so the father goes to Jesus and then asks him, would you come to my child? He's at the point of death. He's heard about what he did in Cana before. And 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 perhaps he's thinking, well maybe he'll turn water into Tylenol and 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 then my child will heal. Maybe he'll just this man with so much power will touch my my son's forehead and the fever will go away and he'll he'll have his life restored and Jesus looks at him in verse 48 and says if if I don't do this for you, you won't even believe. You should believe in me without me doing these kinds of things for you. But it will take you seeing signs and wonders for you to believe. That does not deter the father at all in verse 49. He says, sir, come please. My my son is at the point of death. Take in his resilience. This father is insistent because the miracle performer is in Cana. His beloved son is in Capernaum. He's 17 miles away, but that's a really long way away. In that, in that day, this man may be wealthy. He may be powerful. He doesn't have a car to speed. He doesn't, he's not like us. We, we can get a police escort if, if our wife is pregnant. We can, we can storm down the highway. This trip is not just 17 miles in that day. It's it's also a really difficult 17 miles. It, it would require Jesus and this man to descend 200 feet initially, but then go right back up 500 feet. And then they would have to descend 900 feet and then go up 500 feet. And then they would go down into Capernaum, 1300 feet below them. It's ups and downs. It's treacherous. It's a difficult trip. And yet we need to understand why this man is so resilient to demand that Jesus would go with him on this trip and to be resilient despite Jesus' rebuke of him is because his father, who is desperately loving his son, knows that it is one o'clock in the afternoon. That's the seventh hour. And what that means is there's not much daylight left and they need to leave right then because he knows they're not going to make it that day. They better leave Leave right now so that they get as far as they can tonight because the soonest they're going to get to his son who is at the point of death is, is the next day. If we're going to get this story. if We're going to understand what God is telling us about the salvation we need and the Savior he's given. We need to feel that the son is slipping away, the father is desperate, and the wonder worker is far away. That's the point. He's far away. Meet the third character a man with divine a man with divine power the tension started back in verse 46 when john tells us what jesus did in his last trip to cana so the whole question that is covering this story is, what will the gladness maker do for this sad father? And the answer comes in verse 50. That's where the sign happens. And, and I want you to see that, that even though the sign does come, it doesn't come the way the man commanded Jesus. The man commanded, he's used to making commands, and he commands this man, miracle worker, in front of him, come, sir, right now. Jesus doesn't. Because there's a little bit of an insult in that command. I don't mean just that he's, this this official is giving commands to Jesus. That, That would be insulting. But the command to come in order to heal is insulting. It is so important that you don't go to the wrong person to get healing. But it's also really important to know that it is not enough just to know who can heal you. You really need to recognize who the healer really is. What will the the gladness maker do for this sad father? What he does is not what powerful men do. And there's a sense in which... The, the, this official who's desperate is, is coming to Jesus and he's just speaking to him on the terms of what other powerful men that he knows might do who would have the power to do this kind of thing. You have to come and, and heal my son. That's not what Jesus does for the sad father. He does what only God can do. That's what the signs say. John tells us that the signs have been recorded down to show us that Jesus, to convince us that Jesus can do, this man can do what only God can do. Jesus didn't really do anything unless we're talking about speech being something. He spoke. Verse fifty. Go, your son will live. The man believed that word that Jesus had spoken to him, believed that his son was going to be healed. Verse 51, he's making his way down to his son and and the servants come to him and tell him his son is recovering. And so the man asks a really important question. He's wondering if he should believe something more about Jesus than just that word. He says in verse 52, tell me when it is, Exactly when my boy started to get better and they said yesterday, we know we, we marked the time, it was at one o'clock when the fever left him. In verse 53, the father knew that was the hour I was talking to Jesus. That was the hour Jesus spoke to me and said, your son will live. And then he believed or he said he believed the word in verse fifty. But here, there's a different belief, not only for him, but eventually for all of this official's household. It's a different kind of belief. Now, when he, he, he repeats in verse 53, now he realizes... When he heard that the moment Jesus spoke, your son will live, that that is when the fever left him and he started to live and not die. That At that moment that he realized that, he realized that when Jesus spoke, your son will live. The man then believed that what naturally follows is, and it was so. He believed something about Jesus. That when Jesus speaks, it's like that God of Genesis 1 speaking, let there be light, and it was so. Whatever he speaks, and it was exactly so, exactly as he said. It came to pass in the moment. There's no delay. It just immediately happens, just like the trees just appeared out of nowhere. The man then comes to believe in verse 53 in a way that he didn't believe before, that Jesus is that God who sends out his word from heaven, like Isaiah says, and it will always accomplish the purpose from which he sent it. It always succeeds. That's what he believed about Jesus in verse 53, that he didn't realize in verse 50's kind of belief. You know, way before that Geico alligator who's, you know, he's sitting at the, at the lunch table with his business associates and it's time to pay the bill and he's got these little alligator hands and, or arms and he can't reach the check. And it's this joke that he never pays. Well, long before that, my wife had a little sister. And when, when I started uh, dating my wife, um, Uh, Her little sister was about 10 years old, and she was famous before the gator. She was famous for saying, can't reach. This is what we associated with her. And uh, she would always say, can't reach, when she was asked to do a chore. was this uh, humorous thing, unless you're the one who actually had the vacuum because she was just unwilling to do it. She could reach just fine. She just didn't want to reach. The second sign. From the same man who turned sadness into gladness, he now turns illness into wellness. And I, I want you to see that the second sign in the same city, Cana, is greater than the first one he did. And it's greater in this way the first sign that he performed in Cana, he did because he happened to be at the wedding in Cana. The second sign is greater than the first because the second sign he does in Capernaum while he's in Cana. In other words, what, what, the, what the man came to believe in verse 53, that defies whatever he believed about him whenever he came to Jesus and begged him to come with him back to his hometown. What he came to believe in verse 53 is that this man's feet don't need to hurry if his words can reach. His words can reach. Friends, Jesus heals the dying from a distance. That's what this sign is communicating. He he heals the son, not by surgery, but by speech. In other words, Jesus' words, and you need to believe this about him, Jesus' words are not the wishful words of faith healers if you even believe in that sort of thing. He is not a grifter. Who's who comes into town and makes these promises, and those promises can't be proven until long after he's left the town. Jesus' words are fast-acting and far-traveling. This story, God tells us, has been preserved in our Bibles to convince you something about his Son, something you have to know about the Savior, and that is that Jesus can do what no one in the world can do. And what that must mean for you and me is that we cannot ask, we should not ask him to do just a little bit more than Dr. Fauci can do. You should not be looking to Jesus and have the same kinds of asks of him that you would ask of hydroxychloroquine. He is entirely different. And what this this sign communicates to us is we do not believe in him we do not believe in Him the way that we should believe in Him, the way that His people in His hometown didn't believe Him, the way that the Galilee's did not believe in Him. We don't believe in Him the way that we should believe in Him unless we believe what the Father came to believe in verse 53, and that is only God can stop death. And Jesus just did it. He didn't just stop his son from dying. It's not, we're not told that the son just, just was at the point of death and stayed at the point of death and the death just didn't come. Jesus spun death. He didn't just stop it. He spun it around. He, he, he caused the child to completely recover. And that's what the man realizes. And he did this with a word. Therefore, he must be not a man alone. He is God's own son. And only those who heed Jesus' words get the healing. Only Jesus works. Point number two, we don't just have the sign. Let's consider the significance. This sign is significant. It teaches us four things about salvation. Four things to understand about the salvation we need and the Savior God has given Do you know your need for salvation? And and do you really know Jesus? Not just familiar with him, but you have faith in him. You have saving faith in the Savior. Well, you need to believe four things from this. First of all, you need to believe that the almighty wonder worker is present in his word. That's what this says. The almighty wonder worker, where is he? Where can the wonders be performed? He's present in his word. And I think we may be experiencing and appreciating this to a degree that maybe we we haven't before. And that is that the ministry of presence is wonderful. It's wonderful. These shelter in place orders at least are making us appreciate even more than we did before, the presence of our friends and our family and church members and and, and how just being present together does wonders for our souls. Just understand, though, there is something about Jesus. He doesn't have to rearrange his ministry calendar to, to fit in this trip to Capernaum. Jesus does not have to wrangle some angels together to go to Capernaum in his place. Jesus doesn't need to ask the Holy Spirit if he has time to rush to the boy's side. Even though this dying boy is a day's distance away, all Jesus has to do is speak a sentence. And the moment, we're, we're told the very moment that the words of Jesus' mouth, the fever left the boy's body. So let me... Let me try to press this in by comparing Jesus to some uh, examples from our day. You're, you're probably aware that surgeons, really good ones, have kind of a God complex. They have these delusions of grandeur. And even the nurses are trained to think of them as if they can accomplish anything. They can turn back death. They can, they can heal people that it seemed impossible. Surgeons Surgeons can do amazing things, and we're, we're really grateful for surgeons. Jesus is more like a telesurgeon, you know, like a, you know, a teledoc. It's not the same as being in front of the doc and them actually examining you, but they're just looking at you, and we're just kind of guessing. We're just insecure about it. Jesus is a surgeon, but it, it, he doesn't even have to be there in your presence to touch you and do what he needs to do. Or, or you could think about how our wise governor here in Texas um, we'll not let any of the Cajuns cross our border uh, for a little while. I, I don't have any loved ones in, in Louisiana, so that doesn't bother me one bit. Beloved, understand that there is no border that is closed to Jesus' voice. Jesus can go where everyone else is forbidden from going. Believe this, that healing for the ill that comfort for those who are sorrowed right now by their sin, that strength for those who have been weakened by this cruel world, that encouragement for the the fearful heart, all of those things that we desperately need, all of those things travel by Jesus' word, and they get to us. The second thing you need to believe about the Savior And really your need for salvation. You need to believe and I need to believe that you and I want wonders more than we want the Lord. At least we're tempted with that. So we heard all this, you know, at the beginning about how Jesus leaves Judea because a prophet is not honored in his hometown. And the Galileans welcome him in. And they're just kind of compared to the people of Judea as being better. This man comes to him by faith and asks for wonders uh, from him. But verse 48, Jesus looks at him and he says, You will not believe in me unless you see wonders. What you may not see in your English translation is the word you is y'all. He's not just talking to this man. He's talking about the Galileans who welcomed Him. And the point is, they didn't welcome Him the way they should have. We're told why they welcomed Him. Because they had seen all He had done. They welcomed the miracle worker. Like the crowd on Palm Sunday, which we're celebrating this weekend, welcomes the idea of Jesus being their king, presumably to consider all that he might do for them. Here's something you need to believe. There is a problem with a king who just works wonders. And the problem is this, and it's a problem. A king who just works wonders may have a people who mistake Him for an entertainer and not recognize Him as their Lord. I want to invite you to believe this about you, and that is that you would be in the you of verse 48. You have the same kind of heart that would not believe unless you see Him do something. Maybe one test for this that our hearts really just crave leaders who work for us. Maybe a test is that we're all so very eager to get that stimulus check from our leaders. And I wonder how eager we are in comparison to hear Almighty God tell us to change. What do we want? And what do we not want? What do we not want? Performers are always more popular than prophets. Jesus refers to himself as a prophet, and a prophet demands something from you. Prophets are the ones who come and tell us to repent and to give to God what he deserves. And yet, there is this striking Irony in verse forty-eight, and and what Jesus does in response to verse forty-nine's question or command, what he does in verse fifty. He he is communicating. There's something wrong with your faith. You're not giving me the trust that I deserve from you. And yet, Jesus complies. Jesus does perform the sign that is needed for this man to believe. The Lord deserves more than we give Him. And our failure does not stop him from giving us far more than we deserve. There is another father who desperately loves his only son, and who at the same time desperately wants more children. And that father knows. That there is a wonder even his only begotten son cannot do from afar. There is a work that Jesus' voice is not sufficient For Jesus could spin physical death with a word, but spinning spiritual death of being separated after death from God forever and ever, that takes a body. The healing you need and I need can only come, Isaiah says, by His wound. So he needs not just to take on a human voice, the Son of God to please his Father and to make many sons of glory takes on a human body to be wounded on a cross in our place for the condemnation that we deserved, taking the wrath of God and dying and being buried and and then being raised from the dead as the victorious Savior, defeating all death for us and and calling everyone to, to believe in Him. That is a work that His voice was not sufficient to do. But there is a second. There is a second thing that Jesus will not do from afar. And that is, He will Come again to judge. And you need to understand, reckon with this right now that in order to benefit from the first thing that he did with his body when he came close, in order to be spared from the second thing he'll do when he comes close with that resurrected body in glory. In order to avoid judgment means you have to listen to him now. The king is speaking to you right now. Believe in me the way that you should. I am the savior, yes, but I'm the son of God. And you need to repent specifically of denying me as Lord. Live for me as your king and you will be forgiven. And you will be a child of this most beloved father. There's a third thing that I want to encourage us to believe from this sign. And that is what we see from the Father, that healing leads to heeding. Healing is supposed to lead to something. There is no one out there who has been healed by Jesus spiritually who does not heed him in this life. That's what it means to be saved. Notice, when the fever left the son, faith entered the Father. It was different faith. A new faith. It was a faith that followed Jesus in a different way that entered the Father the moment the fever left the Son. It's as if He comes to a realization that you and I need to come to and reckon with and live our lives in light of, and that is that only Christ can command fevers. You can't do it. Drugs can't do it. Doctors can't do it. The president can't do it. The whole world can't do it, but Jesus can do it. He commands Fevers, and fevers obey, and fevers should not be more faithful than followers. They're not more faithful than true followers. We know Him in a way that fevers cannot. I want you to hear what Paul would say about Jesus. When he says he is God, when he says he is the creator who created all things, he's the eternal one. He also said, and he is the head of the church, all of Christians. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. So that, what is the result of this? What does this lead to for Jesus in everything? He might be preeminent. And Christians are distinct from the world and that we recognize he is preeminent. We follow Him. We heed Him. Beloved, If believe this, if He conquers with a word, what would condemn us? Then His words must be worthy of our following. What do you learn about salvation? Is that we should heed the words of the one who heals us. Fourth and finally, we are invited by God to never forget and believe that the Savior's death spinning, life filling word is never out of range. It's never out of range, it can always reach from everywhere. He's in heaven. You believe that our Savior's word is never out of range and therefore never let His word out of your reach. Now that may seem contradictory. Well, if if His word is never out of range, why do I have to keep it close within reach? Because the sign tells us that you have to hear His word to get the most out of it. You know, on one hand, at the beginning of the story, I mean, the, the boy doesn't have to hear the word because his immune system could hear what his ears could not. The word goes to him and changes him. He didn't hear actually the voice of Jesus. But notice what verse 53 says when it says, At that point, the father believed Jesus and then all his household, including the son later believed. In other words, the boy did not get the most out of the word of Jesus when he got healed physically at that seventh hour. He got the most out of the word when he heard who he was and believed him the way that his father now did. Paul says this About the gospel that whenever he's preaching, he doesn't lose heart whenever people don't believe his gospel. He says, because I know why they don't believe and I know how Jesus works. Paul communicates to us that when the death-spinning, life-filling gospel is spoken, that notice the God of creation is speaking. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We may have been blinded. We could not see him, but it's when we hear the gospel come close to us, that God himself from heaven speaks an effective word. So we can, we can, we can stop. We, we shouldn't follow the wrong approach of the Galileans in verse 48 and just look for signs. Because all the healing we need is in Scripture. That's where the power of the Almighty is to give us the deeper healing we need. There is so much that has been taken away from us. We're, we're, you know, fearful here even in, in Graham that a, that a, that a ventilator won't be available if we need it. We're fearful that, that a vaccine is, is, is too far away. We wonder if we can even survive that long. You should believe something from this word that Christ's word is more precious than a vaccine and It is more powerful than a ventilator. This is something we are not selfish to hoard. You should hoard the word of Christ that can heal you. You should hoard it. You should bring it near to you and keep it within your reach because you have to hear it in order to get the most out of it. Love it. We are in a a blessed season where we get the surprising benefit of having all of our excuses for not reading the Word, all of our excuses for not talking to God, they're gone. Do not let the Word of the Lord out of your reach. Only those who heed Jesus' words get the healing. Only Jesus works. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak. You would speak. And as we hear the word read and preach, we would come under the power, your power, to heal. Heal us, ultimately, of saying no to you, not listening. Make us faithful, more faithful than fevers. May you receive all the glory you're due from your followers. We ask this in your name, amen.